Hello, queens. Welcome back. First, I want to apologize because, yeah, I'm, I haven't been consistent. I've been like, life has been crazy, which has inspired me actually to do this episode. So today I'm going to talk about adulting, adulting in Toronto. Okay. I'm going to give you some tips about, you know, OSAP and getting an apartment, uh, getting a job or whatever. I'm just going to give you the, the, you know, the, the ins, the outs of, you know, how to navigate the city. I will definitely continue this topic with some of my, you know, my people them that, you know, are living in the city and are having a hard time. As you know, like Toronto is crazy right now. Like housing is a mess. Anyway, the first thing I want to talk about is getting an apartment. I've been seeing like a few of my friends, you know, have been in this situation. And so I just want to speak on it because the first thing when you're getting an apartment in this city is make sure that you have a lease. Always have a lease. And a lease doesn't necessarily mean that you're in it for a year. You know, a lease could just be month to month. It could be a year. It could be six months. It could be it could be really anything that you're looking for, but always have something in writing that proves that you have an agreement to live there. If you don't have a lease agreement with somebody, they can literally do whatever they want. Now, what bodies can you go to when your landlord is being a fucking mess? The landlord and tenant tribunal, they deal with all tenant landlord issues. But if you don't have documentation, girl, or man, <laughs> I don't think men listen to this podcast, but girl, you are going to make your life a lot more difficult. The first thing to do is always get things documented. When you see an apartment on Kijiji, Padmapper, look it up. Okay, there's a lot of human trafficking in Ontario. Ontario is the highest, has the highest rate of human trafficking. So be super vigilant. Get the address, Google it. Sometimes the addresses are fake. Um, when you're going to look at the place, go with a friend or be on video with your friends. Usually, if you're getting an apartment and there is no, there's not a lot of stipulations, that typically means that you're gonna it's going to be very difficult to live there. So for example, if the person does not require credit checks, if they're like, oh, you don't need first and last, I'll just take first or I'll just take half and whatever. If there's way too many like shortcuts, that's probably going to make your life a living hell. Also, make sure that wherever you're going to live makes sense for you. Because one of the biggest things is, if you pick a place, for example, if you live downtown and you pick a place in Curtis because it's cheaper, you're just going to end up paying more rent. And if you're in, in a lease for a year, it's hell getting out of a lease. I also recommend moving. If you're going to move, move in the winter because in the winter, how the housing markets are doing a little bit better. You know, people are more desperate for rent. So they're, they're more, people are more desperate to get tenants. And so, which means, they're more willing to negotiate. They're more willing to bargain with you. In the summer when everyone is looking, ugh, like when the weather is good, of course everyone wants to move because the weather is better. So it's hard to negotiate with anybody. So yeah, to speak on the documentation piece, especially for those of you who are renting rooms or basement apartments from... I lived in a basement. I lived in basements for 10 years. And trust me, guys, it it's the ghetto. The absolute ghetto. Okay? 
living in someone's home, even when you're paying rent, is a fucking mess. So what you want to do is write down everything. Take pictures of everything. If you can afford cameras, put cameras in places. I was literally living in a place where, like, things were being stolen from me. My landlord at one place used to literally, like, he would, like, open my mail and, like, tape it back up. Like, crazy bat shit shit and i remember big like landlords who've called the police on me like trust me guys take pictures of everything document everything because when you try to go after them you need that documentation now what happens when you have an issue with your landlord let's say for example your landlord keeps harassing you they keep you know bugging you you can there's a there's an organization called steps to justice this organization you know just google steps to justice i believe the first step they'll ask you like did you try to resolve the situation which is what which is what brings in documentation always email your landlord try not to have these like you know haha hoo-hoo conversations on the phone because there's no way of you know there's no paper trail so send an email to your landlord if you send at least three and they're not heeding to like what you you're asking them then contact Steps to Justice. Steps to Justice will call them and tell them, okay, like we've received this complaint. They will say that you're the one who complained. So yeah, so just before I continue, keep in mind that like when you call Steps to Justice, they will tell them that you're the one who called them to complain. It is not anonymous. So if you're somebody who is terrified and scared and which is understandable like your feelings are absolutely you know valid but if that's the situation do not go through this this uh avenue do not go through steps to justice they so then anyways so then they call that your landlord and if they if if it's found that this landlord is continuously harassing you they could actually get charged it is so important to write everything down and to read your contract you could get sued right down through your asshole if you don't read things words mean things read it's so important read the fine print read 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 Read, guys. I know. I know I'm being annoying, but read. Always read. Read and and sign things that you know you're very well aware of of the fact that you're signing them. Make sure that you are sober when you're signing things because a contract is binding, okay? Unless it can be found that it was done under duress or it was done illegally because, for example, a landlord cannot ask, cannot make you sign a contract that asks you for seven months of rent or four months in rent that's illegal a landlord so whatever contract he makes you sign is null and void because ontario bans that it's not allowed or let's say your landlord says i will not provide heating or or i think what's the other one heat or water he's not allowed not to provide those things and so if you sign a contract saying that he will not provide those things you know, or that those things are provided at his or hers discretion, that's illegal. Whatever contract that's signed does not exist. It's not, it won't be recognized because it is required that landlords must provide heat and they must provide water. Yeah. So, so that's about the rent piece. Again, I'll be back with this topic, but I just wanted to get this off my mind because I'm, I'm seeing that there's a lot of people, especially during COVID, there's a lot of people that are having a hard time and they're going through stuff and it's easy to take advantage of people when they are going through these things. 
And so make sure that you are number one when it comes to renting something in Toronto. And I'm talking about like pe- for, for people who are renting from people's homes, read what you're signing read everything if you need to go to a lawyer or you have some friends and you know who can who can read it with you do what you gotta do but do not sign anything that you know you don't know what you're signing for those people who are looking to rent apartments in the city i'm talking just about toronto i'm not i don't know about you know other places in canada but i know in toronto the process is a credit check but a credit check is not all you need. You need to prove that you can afford the apartment. So I'll tell you about my process. For me, I had to provide a credit check and my credit, your credit, my credit had to be above 700 or above 650, something like that. And then I also had to provide a bank letter. A bank letter is a letter that you take to the bank teller and basically it says this person does not have any loans with us or they do have loans with us and this is how much the loans are. And then it would say they have, you know, 6000 in their savings and 5000 in their checking. By the way, guys, like this is not money I have. So I don't want you to come and say, oh, Jane has money. Please leave me. I, I'm a, I'm a struggling Toronto person, just like everybody else. Anywho. Yeah. So then that's what the bank letter said. And then you have to get that signed by a bank teller or someone who works at the bank. Then you need uh pay stubs from work they will need a an employment letter from the time you got the job but they will also need a letter from hr saying that they also asked for a letter from hr saying that uh jane still works here because i had multiple jobs that also helped i had a full-time job and i had two relief jobs it helped my chances and then you need a reference do not if you didn't get along with your landlord do not give that bitch as your previous landlord do not give that bitch as a reference like use like you can you can use like the landlord before like i used a landlord before this person so yeah anyways what else and then you need like two months rent of course you need a say like a deposit i needed to pay some sort of deposit it was very it was a very like strenuous process i will be quite honest it wasn't it wasn't the easiest i was looking for an apartment i think for for like the majority of 2021 and then i didn't get the apartment until until like november of 2021 so about 11 months of just like looking and looking and looking. Um, and then I moved in, uh, January of 2022. One thing you have to remember about finding a place to live, you need to take your time with it. Um, it's not something that you can be rushed. That being said, I understand if you're in unsafe situations and you need to get out right away, that's understandable. But if you're able, do not rush the process. Also, if you have a place to live that is not causing you to, you know, to have like mental health or you're not being harmed in any way, whether mentally, emotionally, physically, or you're at like you're nobody is disturbing your peace and your rent is cheap and you live in toronto stay girl stay like i'm telling you the housing market out here oh my god it's crazy it is absolute batshit crazy so that's about rent 
The other thing I want to talk about is how to advocate for yourself when companies are being fucking dumbasses, okay? So I'll give an example. So during COVID, I booked a ticket to Uganda. That was in 2020. Um, I bought my ticket in 2019. 2020, the pandemic happened. Everything was shut down. Ethiopian Airways tried to play with me okay they tried to play with me and so i sent i of course i tried calling them and if you've ever taken ethiopian airways you know they don't even have like they don't even have they don't have shit they don't have a call center they don't have nobody that you can talk to when you email they just keep fucking pushing you around it's bullshit anyways so i realized that these so then they had some fucking rule about like if you want your refund then you need to something about like you need to apply for a refund before January 1st, but before, before January 1st, but after December 13th. Like it was something very fucking dumb. I, whatever, I listened and I would always literally go to their website and look at their cancellation policy and they were changing it like every three seconds. And so I, I would screenshot it. Every time I went on and they had changed it, I was screenshotting it. And so eventually I got sick and tired. So I actually reached out to the Better Business Bureau. You can actually Google these people. And they're actually like a body that goes after these companies when you file a complaint. Not goes after them. Like they're not lawyers. I should add they're not lawyers. They're just there to like hold companies uh, accountable. And so I complained to uh, the Better Business Bureau. I sent a letter to head office. Yeah, I sent a letter to head office all the way in Addis Ababa. I'm crazy in Ethiopia. And then I also complained to, there's, a, there's an Ontario complaint board like for consumers. When I tell you guys, I got my refund literally in a day, like it came the next day. But this whole process to fight for my ticket money bag started in December it started in December of 2020 and ended in July of 2021 so it took a long time the other thing i want to really advise what what really came came to light for me in 2020 was companies like flight center when you're fucking destitute and you don't have shit, they literally didn't have phones. They did. You couldn't call flight center because that's who I booked my ticket through. And it was like, you got it. They were like, you have to call Ethiopian yourself. We literally have no power. And then Ethiopian was like, you got to go through flight center. Da, 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 da. Like, and you were just like getting pushed around. I will never in my life ever again go through a third, a third party to book my ticket. And it's not even worth the cheaper price. Fuck all that. No, never. And if you can avoid it, do not do it. But that's how you can, not just for like airline companies, like I have taken Good Life Fitness to the Better Business Bureau. I have taken a bank to Better Business Bureau. You can actually complain and they will get back to you. And companies like they, they have to respond, like they're given an ample time to respond. If that doesn't work for you, you can always go to Ontario.ca. It's called, you can file a consumer complaint. And so that's what I did for Ethiopian Airways. And when I, when I tell you guys, my money was literally on my credit card in two seconds. It was there in two seconds. Is it annoying advocating for yourself when these fucking companies are being dumb? Absolutely. But I want people to learn to advocate for themselves. No one is going to advocate for you, especially when they're done taking your money. 
they're not gonna they're not gonna give a shit and you have to fight them you literally have to fight them and the other thing too always i know i've said this before but like read read what you're buying read what you're signing read 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 that is the point of you know all the education that you have like that's that's why you your parents started taking you to school from kindergarten so you could you know read that's how you're gonna get through things that's how people won't take advantage of you Read what you're signing. I beg. Read, 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 read. What's the other thing I wanted to cover? OSAP. OSAP. Okay. So, OSAP is basically, you know, in Ontario, um, school is not free. Uh, post-secondary is not free. Uh, so you have to borrow money. Most of, a lot of us, like most people I know, I actually don't know anyone who paid for school. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, OSAP is very, is very common. Um, yeah, you just apply for it and you go to school. Anyways, how can you get through, how can you navigate OSAP? Number one is have someone who has done OSAP before. Um, send me an email, like ask me questions, blackwindsrepublic at gmail.com if you have OSAP questions. OSAP is for people who are Canadian citizens, permanent residents, protected persons, so refugees. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not for anybody who does not have status. I know, I know. And uh, otherwise, you'd have to pay for your, your own education. Now, if you're a person that has a disability and a disability does is is not as Ontario describes it, a disability when you're in school is something that impedes on your learning. So for example, if you have anxiety, if you and I, I believe there's a new rule that like your school is not allowed to ask you what your disability is, but you do have to go to the doctor and uh, get a doctor's note. It could be mental health, it could be physical health, it could be chronic. Once that is documented, um, you can actually access accommodations on uh, from your school. For example, getting getting like extensions. You can actually get certain grants at your school, or you know that are specifically for people in your situation. Now, OSAP. OSAP has a disability grant. I don't know what the criteria is for, but I believe you need a doctor's note. How detailed that doctor's note needs to be, you need to check with your financial aid office. Call or, or call, uh, OSAP or NSLSC, the National Student Loan Service Center. And they will be able to answer those questions. It varies for individuals. And so you utilize your financial aid office. Call them and say, hey, this is my situation. I'm living with depression and anxiety. It's been diagnosed. I need to get a doctor's note. However, how detailed do I need to be? And so once you get this note, you will be classified as a student that has a disability. And there are certain grants that you qualify for. There's a $2,000 grant, I believe, for persons with permanent disabilities permanent disabilities are again that that is classified by a medical professional a doctor okay anyway so once you have done all that then you will be a person or some people can prove that they're they have a permanent disability by submitting their ODSP pay stubs or the there's another disability benefit i believe that you can be used to prove that you have a permanent disability when that's done there is a uh, a grant 
it's $2,000, I believe, unless they brought it down during COVID, but it's $2,000. And what this, this grant is supposed to do is that it's supposed to, it's supposed to pay for a computer for you. Before you get this money, though, you have to sit down with your accessibility services person who will do an assessment and then send it over to financial aid. Then you'll be able to get your money. The other thing is there is such a grant at OSAP called First in My Family. First in My Family is basically a grant for people who are the first people in their family to attend post-secondary. So if you are, say you're a family of five and, you know, say you're from Uganda like myself and you are the first person in your family to attend post-secondary education, your parents never finished, they never went and like they never went to school after high school, they never did a course, then you qualify for the first in my family. Those are the two uh, grants that I know about. But when you are on the OSAP website, osap.com, there is an area that will tell you about the grants that you qualify for and you can pick which one you feel you qualify for. Also, on your school website, go to the scholarships and awards or like, I, I don't know what it says, but there's a there's a fund there. There's a textbook fund at Centennial College, for example, that is $1,000 that I've had access to when I was at, when I was at Centennial. And then there's a $500 grant if you, if you are at Trent University and you are having a hard time. So it's for students who are just struggling, right? So I don't know what school you go to. So go on the website, look through it, read what they have available, apply anyway. I don't know. You, you may not think you're going to get it, but apply for it anyways. And also get straight A's, you know, get good, get good grades so you can apply for the scholarships as well as available to you. The other thing too, OSAP gives you an, an option of, cha- you know, only getting grants. Um, this is an option that I took. Because honestly, I didn't want OSAP debt, but I will add that I was working while I was in school. And so I was able to maintain my life. I just needed them to pay my tuition. So OSAP did not pay for my, um, and I, I got enough grants so that they could just only pay my tuition. OSAP did not pay for textbooks or transportation or anything like that. Cause I, I said no to everything because I wanted to receive, uh, only grants. Now, that being said, your grants can be turned into loans. OSAP can decide that, you know what, they'll send you a letter in the mail and be like, hey, like this grant that you got for $2,500 uh, has been turned into a loan. So when you get grants from OSAP, you need to keep that in mind. It can happen. I don't know the circumstances in which it does happen because it varies, but it, it can. It can take place. The last thing I want to cover is knowing where to go when you are applying for jobs. That's the last thing I want to talk about. We all know that COVID had a gigantic effect on anyone, on everybody, not anyone, everybody. Whether some people, you know, had mental health challenges, some people lost their jobs, some people, like it was, it was different for everybody. And so before I get into this, I want you guys, you know, be nice to each other. Everyone is struggling. Some people may not show it. Some people may, you know, not seem like they're going through stuff, but like, be kind. It's free. It's free. Be kind. Okay. So employment, when you are looking for a job, make sure that you're going to the right places. For example, if you're like me and you're in social services, 
you're going to go in places like Charity Village, for example, all the time. I'm always on Charity Village. If you are someone that says, you know what, I want to work for the city, you're always going to be on jobs.toronto.ca. I think that's the website. So when you're looking for work, don't just look aimlessly. Don't just like go and Google like waitress. Go, go to do like, say for example, you were looking for a job at Food Basics. You would go to Google Food Basics Careers. Apply straight on their website. Companies are more likely to look on their website before anything else. So always try to Google. I'm not saying they don't go on Indeed or Charity Village, but there's a higher chance that when you apply through their website, I've had like quicker call-ins that way. Callbacks, I should say. When you're working, finally, say you're working, find out what your rights are. What are your rights as an employee? Gone are the days where we're taking bullshit from managers. Read the anti-bullying, anti-harassment. They always have that policy. When you start working after probation, Okay, after probation, ask these questions. Do you have a policy that addresses conflicts at work? Do you have a policy in place where, you know, that talks about safety for staff? Make sure that you know what these rules and regulations are so that because managers, a lot of the time, they count on you to be ignorant. They count on you to not know what is going on. They count on you not to know the company policies because then they win. They do whatever the fuck they want to do. But there is such a thing as the labor board. There is such a thing uh, as the uh, the occupational, I believe it's the occupational health and safety something. And that is what regulates workplaces. They don't get to do whatever they want. But how you can get these people, how you can keep people accountable is by reading and having the knowledge. The knowledge is what will get you through. Don't speak to people over the phone. It's the same thing I said with landlord. Don't speak to your boss over the phone. Send them an email. Always, 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 always have a paper trail. I sound like a fucking broken record, but guys, it will save you. It will save you. It will save you. It will save you. Trust me. Put everything in writing. Get into the habit of sending emails to address issues. Like it could be the tiniest thing because when these big people have to come after you, they will. They definitely will. So. Make sure that you are getting that in order and always speak up about stuff. If someone is making you uncomfortable at work, email, especially like, you know what I notice with like, I know I do it, but when it's other black people, I'm like, I'm less likely to say something. And I've, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm not going to let black people treat me like shit because they're black. It's not happening. You don't get to treat me like shit because you're a black woman. Fuck that. I will go to HR. I will go to human resources. If you are being treated without, res- with like disrespectfully, whether it's by a black woman, a black man, a white woman, a white man, an Indian man, an Indian woman, Report, report, make sure, but, but in order to report, you need a paper trail. You need to prove that you have addressed the behavior. For those of us who have unions, utilize the union. If you're a part of a union, reach out to them, uh, file a grievance if you need to, and they're required to actually guide you through that process. But utilize what's in place to address like your rights, to stand up for yourself, advocate for yourself. Nobody 
is going to do it for you. Again, this is just a little bit of, you know, I've just been noticing a lot of people getting into mess and I'm like, oh my God, like this is crazy. So a lot of people are really out here just like, you know, not, uh, not knowing what their rights are, not knowing what they can do. So if you know anybody that needs to listen to this episode, please send it to them, send it to them. But I will be back. I'll be back with uh, a few people and we'll be discussing this further. See you in two weeks. Bye.